everybody, and welcome to the Industrial Sourcing Podcast. My name is Anne-Sophie Lebloas. I'm the founder and CEO of Ravacan, a cloud software for industrial buyers. Today, I'm interviewing Luis Orozco. He's global commodity lead at Caterpillar. He worked for companies like Schneider Electric, NetTalk, Siemens, and Ingradian. He's going to share what he has learned along the way and some tips to be a successful global commodity lead. Thank you very much for, for being here today, Luis. Very happy to have you. Thank you, Sophie. I'm very happy to be here today. Yeah, me too. I'm very excited to learn more about your background and, um, and, uh, and your job. So what, what's your background? How did you end up being a commodity uh, manager? Well, I'm originally from Venezuela. Uh, I have an um, engineering background, engineering degree from Venezuela, also an MBA degree uh, in management as well from Venezuela, and a Master's of International Business uh, from Florida International University in Miami. Uh, since very early in my career, I was in charge of um, coordinating multiple um, operations, multiple functionality across the different areas of, of the companies I have worked in, in my life. So, and little by little, I was uh, more and more uh, included in the supply chain, strategic uh, planning, uh, strategic sourcing as well for different components and, and different operations. So that's why I got, I landed in the world of the supply chain and, and logistics. So being an engineer with the mindset of an engineer, you tend to put things in order and, and look and detect uh, where are the, the risks. Mm -hmm. So, that I think is how I landed here. Yes. So, what was your first commodity or responsibilities when you started being involved in supply chain? It was back in my previous experience here in my first job. It was with American Power Conversion. I worked for them as a logistics coordinator for the entire region from Mexico to Argentina and the Caribbean. There, I got involved in everything related with the product allocation for uh, American Power Conversion uh, data centers and critical energy backup solutions. Uh, for this, is uh, the same principle as uh, UPS that you can probably use in your computer, mm -hmm. only that apply to institution. So this is a huge UPS, the same principle. So apply to institutions like hospitals, um, banks, that kind of institutions that cannot uh, be without energy. So I'm being uh, responsible for, for Latin America and the Caribbean. That means that these were institutions that, that we rely in my products, my solutions to run their business. So it was a very, very interesting 
position, uh, the responsibility was huge because I immediately, I, I felt like uh, this hospital is relying on our product to have patients connected to intensive care units that they won't be without energy. And when you're talking about Latin America, sadly, it's a region where the electricity is not so reliable. So that is that, that was my, my first big experience in the supply chain uh, and logistics world in the corporate, in the America corporate world. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so uh, what did you do after that? Uh, after that, uh, after being with them for some years, uh, I was, you know, expecting to move forward within the organization. The company during those days was acquired by a French giant, uh, Schneider Electric, mm -hmm. and they kind of uh, sort of put in place a uh, hiring freeze meaning that no one could be promoted. Uh, I was waiting to move forward, but the leadership during those days, you know, they, they didn't, I would say, they didn't give the opportunity for career improvement. Therefore, I, I moved to NECTOC, uh, to the telecommunications uh, company, telecommunications uh, uh, operation, so to speak. For me, for me, this industry wasn't any strangers, given the fact that during my time in Venezuela, as a junior engineer, I worked in telecommunications as well, in the deployment and construction of, of cellular uh, networking uh, for the um, these uh, radio stations for the cellular industry. So it, it wasn't any, any, any new thing for me. Here I was the supply chain manager. Uh, this was a startup company, and they were in need of... Uh, somebody that can help them running the, the entire supply chain operation from uh, raw material purchasing all the way to managing the, the logistics, uh, the 3PL that they had in place. Uh, and that's what I did with them. So um, uh, dealing with uh, local partners as Costco, uh, that they were many, many, let's say, ups and downs with the production. The, the, the warehouse was located in China. So it, it was quite interesting. Sometimes we were, you know, very scared because the they will put an order of so many units and we were a little bit behind. So, but the, the experience was great. Uh, during those days, I learned a lot about the Asian supply chain operation. And uh, the thing with this company, uh, I, I, I am very, very happy to have the, the experience the opportunity to be part of that. Yeah. 
So yeah, sounds like uh, you had a lot of responsibilities and a very uh, broad spectrum of of uh, things to do, right? From sourcing, yes. from logistics, and um, managing. Yes, and, and that's the uh, beauty of working with a startup company. Yeah, because you have to wear several caps simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So this this is for the people who who like you know to ride a, a good rodeo. And so you went from this uh, startup to a very big company, right? Because then you work for Siemens. Yes, and a totally different industry. Uh, because the division of Siemens for which I was working was the health division located in, in outside Boston, Massachusetts, in a place called Walpole. There, I, I was in charge of doing international market analysis, uh, understand the internal demand analysis for the commodities that this division employed, mm -hmm. um, global demand pooling, supplier selection, negotiation, of course, of, of price for my commodity, designing terms and conditions uh, of the agreements to put in place. So I learned a lot about uh, legal, um, maximize uh, operational, operational profits, to achieve business object. Yeah. What so were the, the, the I'm sorry. Yeah, what were the commodities there then? There was mainly uh, reagents for the, the the liquids that you put inside of these machines for blood tests, urine tests. So these these reagents are the ones who allow the machine to run and therefore you know provide the, the test for blood during things like that. okay yeah so, so following raw material logics or like uh, um, how, how do you negotiate for for this uh, type of material is it um, with uh, big quantities and moqs and you might have like uh, market indexes or how does it work yeah First of, first of all, uh, this is an um, industry that very, is very, very heavily regulated by the FDA, mm -hmm. uh, Food and Drug Administration. So um, where the, the suppliers must be, you know, big guys, uh, uh, people like 3M, Thermo Fisher. So, and it's, it's both. Is big quantities, but also with extreme, extreme quality oriented modality. So it, it, it was uh, like always walking in the edge of the knife. Mm -hmm. So, and the way you negotiate uh, with these people is simply they know, and, and if they don't know, uh, make them aware that we are in a partnership that we are not only Siemens, but we rely on them. So mm. they felt like they were part of, of, of the entire thing. And many of the products that Siemens will manufacture were a good part of, of this. 
uh, rely on people like Thermo Fisher to provide uh, raw material, um, packaging, um, bottling, things like that. Okay. So a lot of vendor relationship management, I guess. Constantly. Yeah. Uh, and not only local in the States, but internationally, uh, people, uh, suppliers that were located in Europe, in Germany, and in Japan as well. So you had to have a clear understanding of the culture, how to sit down and negotiate, because different cultures have different way of thinking or different way of presenting the information and different way they are expecting you to sit down and negotiate. So thank God I, I am very easy to understand people and a people person that have an advantage of being an engineer to translate my numbers, my data into information and the information that I need to communicate I communicate in, depending on the public I have in front of me. So, for instance, when you are dealing with Germans, you need to be very precise, be prepared for the most minimum detail you have to be there. Uh, with the people in Japan, similar, but you have to be a little bit more polite, probably when you present them your expectations of what is the target price? You have to be a little bit realistic, not not too much in the poker place, uh, poker player mode. More like, a, oh no, I totally understand that your price might be this, but based on our volumes and based on the of the size of our business together, we expect at 7% reduction. If you are dealing price reduction with other people, you have to go with 50%. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, very interesting. Yeah. So there you were uh, in the north of the US, right? What did you do after that? After that, from Boston, uh, we relocated, my family and I relocated to Chicago, Illinois. And there, I work for Ingredient as their senior procurement specialist for capital investment. And there okay. I was supporting mainly uh, the engineering department for multiple um, uh, renovations and, and, and multiple updates they were doing to their flagship uh, that is located in Bedford Park. This is a company that manufacture corn. They manufacture special ingredients such uh, sugars, uh, corn syrups, starches, and so for the food industry. So their customers are people like Coca-Cola, um, KFC, McDonald's, uh, uh, you know, people that will require this kind of ingredient to manufacture their product. So there I, I work in the development of the entire uh, supply chain strategy 
to acquire capital equipment and services, uh, working together with the global and regional CAPEX MRO leads. Um, I developed a, a strategy uh, to manage uh, the vendors, uh, getting the best prices, uh, getting the best lead time for very heavy, very engineer equipment. Mm -hmm. I even had the opportunity to be part of the design of, of some of the solutions, given the, my relationship with engineering the Ukrainian engineering department, and also because of my background. So we were working hand in hand, not only in the part of the supply chain, but also in, at the engineering level. So uh, that is the beauty of, of the supply chain, that you have to know many things. And if you don't know a thing, you have to try to uh, turn yourself into an expert mode as, at the speed of light. Yeah, 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 it's very interesting. I mean, uh, the fact that you have a, such a diverse as well um, a background because you uh, you were involved with the raw materials, with uh, machining uh, and uh, machine equipments, uh, with infrastructure, and yeah, it's 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 really amazing. And um, you're just mentioning that um, you involve the suppliers very early in the process. Are you saying yes. that you could actually involve uh, the supplier in design to manufacture the, uh, the equipments? Yes, uh, because when we're talking about um, this kind of equipment, it's an equipment that will have uh, several weeks, if not months, for the production lead time. So in that fashion, you have to make sure you have a smooth transition. You can have downtime or try to avoid downtime as much downtime, sorry, yeah. as much as possible. So that's why from the very beginning, when the, uh, when the entire project was in, still on the drawing desk, I will bring the suppliers. Uh, I mean, previous to that, I will engage in my RFQs uh, and get the solution to my internal customers as fast as possible. Meaning that in that way, we could have the supplier engage in the designing, yeah. in the in the original design, in the very early stage design, so they can start working in the production even before we submitted the, the PO to them, actually. Mm -hmm. So by doing that, I make sure that our machines will be ready on time at the right price with the right, uh, right value. And very important as well with the service level that we needed uh, to support uh, to maintenance and to quality, uh, the, yeah. the warranty. I mean, yeah. yeah, I'm a big advocate of of this um, because um, involving suppliers very early uh, in the design of your product makes sure that it's um, designed to manufacture and um, mm. or designed to cost. But sometimes it's quite difficult to estimate. The savings. Have you been able to estimate how much saving actually 
this process has generated? Yes, uh, the thing is that when you go to RFQ, you get a rough idea of what, uh, let's say, a particular machine will cost you, okay? Mm -hmm. So, of course, uh, this will be not the final price, but at least you will have a clear understanding of what is the size uh, of the money that you will have to deal with, okay? For sure, we had an understanding before that a rough idea as well of um, how much the thing will cost. But by doing that, you can tweak it and get to interesting savings because when you call a supplier that the company is already engaged and they want their product to be there for us, they will even offer you added value like, okay, you are proposing this, let's modify to do this and this. So yes, you can get interesting uh, savings. And in my experience uh, uh, by executing that, I, I managed to yield 23% uh, approximately in savings in the design phase of these machineries. That's huge. Yeah. Yes. Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. And so um, your last position is at uh, Caterpillar. Can you tell me a little bit about this? Yes. Uh, in Caterpillar, uh, I, will, I handle the forgings and castings commodity, everything related to metals was me. Um, dealing with uh, suppliers all over the world. Uh, basically, uh, I was in charge of the supply chain uh, operation, manufacturing op operations throughout Europe, Asia, India, Mexico, uh, dealing with uh, suppliers all over there to manage and maintain our supply base and to develop new commercial partnership when needed for locomotive metal products. So uh, alloys, aluminum, iron and steel, both for castings and forgings. The division that I worked for Caterpillar was Progressive Rail. They manufacture um, locomotive uh, and inside of Progress Rail, I was in charge of everything again related to these uh, commodities that were critical for the manufacturing of the engine and also for, for the locomotive as well. So these engines, interesting part of these engines uh, is that they were multi-purpose. You can place this engine either in a locomotive or you can place this engine to uh, a vessel uh, to a ship. Actually, okay. this vessel, this these engines are the backup engines for many of the Navy SEALs. They are sailing the entire world uh, okay. simply because these cell, these these ships run normally over the atomic reactors. But when the, re the atomic reactor 
uh, has a downtime or, or requires some kind of maintenance, then my engines will be the backup for, for the Navy. So it, it was a huge responsibility. Yeah, very interesting. And uh, can you explain for people who don't know what a forging or casting is, um, what it is exactly? Sure. Uh, both are um, uh, metal products. The, the thing is that in the case of the casting, the metal is heated and... It, it, it's heated until molten. It's kind of, of a play-doh, if you will. And then in that metal is poured into a mold to create uh, a desired shape. Mm -hmm. In the forging process, the, the, the metal is pressed or hammered into a certain shape while still maintaining a solid state. So it's more impact in the case mm -hmm. of the forgings and in, in the case of the casting. It's more like pouring molten metal to create the, the shape that is needed. Of course, uh, depending on, on the use, the, this particular part uh, will be employed, will be used. Uh, you will require different kind of um, metal if it's too high, is high temperature stresses or not so high temperature. So it, that is that is where the uh, designing engineer come in part and will provide me with all the requirements for this particular uh, part. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, so what, uh, is there something that uh, you wish you had known before um, going into that career like something that uh, you didn't know when you studied and that you learn in particular yes absolutely uh, what be, be um, or besides the um, technical uh, learning uh, is the fact of having to interact with multiple cultures And this, to me, is, is fascinating. It's amazing. Yes, the, the dealing. Because one thing is what you learn in the books when you are sitting in the school, that you learn certain knowledge. But when you go outside and apply those knowledge, that is where the real world starts. That is where the real <laughs> learning starts. Yeah, so you have an international background, but uh, when you were mentioning uh, some things you understood from the Japanese culture, for example, or from the German culture, how did you learn that? Well, practicing makes perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in my case, it, it was always to be respectful to another people, uh, be very observant, you know, Uh, seeing how they they manage the relationship among each other, and there is a say that when in Rome do what Romans do. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. be be very respectful and try to simulate what they are doing. Yeah. yeah. So that so tells me as well that understand their their way of thinking to respect yeah. how they think, how they approach to issues. And from there, if you follow them, 
you will be good. Okay. So that tells me that uh, you train your emotional, uh, you know, IQ, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Interesting. Yes. And that's the key for, for when negotiating. I will say that you could have all the knowledge in finance, all the technical knowledge. You, you will be, you know, an expert at, at everything. But if you don't have a good emotional IQ, mm -hmm. then you won't be so successful dealing with different cultures other than your own culture. Yeah. So um, what's perfect is that you have this engineering background that allows you to understand the technicality of your, the products you're buying. Um, are you... Um, Are you following, for example, some publications or some reviews as well to learn about some um, market trends or some uh, new practices around purchasing or sourcing? Yes, I constantly I'm reading everything that falls in my hands. I'm very mm -hmm. curious. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a magazine called Forgings and Castings. The, there you find very interesting uh, papers. It's a very good publication because they also provide you with a, a sense of what are the latest and, uh, and greatest in the forgings, castings, and also... Uh, who are the biggest guys currently executing uh, big castings or, or micro castings, depending on, on, on what you need. Of course, there is always the, the, the internet. Um, and for the financials, I, I follow the market uh, because being in, in supply chain and, and being successful, You have to not only know technical aspects of, of what you are involved, but you have to be aware of politics. What are the tariffs that you have to deal with? What are the, the best countries in this particular moment that you should engage and which one you probably put on hold? Um, you have to see if you need to go ahead and do some kind of hedging Uh, because you want to buy, let's say, aluminum, because there were there might be some issues in the near future that will impact aluminum. Therefore, you you have to go ahead and buy and make your hedging. So it, it's fascinating because you have to be always and constantly learning from everywhere, all over. Mm, yeah, yeah, and. Um, Can you tell us about um, a project you're uh, very proud of in particular? It can be a relocation, negotiation, or uh, software implementation, a project in particular that uh, was very successful? Yes, in Caterpillar, uh, one of my latest uh, projects uh, was related to the last generation of engines. It's called T4. And it was related to the crankcase of, of these uh, machines. So we're talking about a casting. The crankcase uh, is a casting that it's about 10,000 pounds, literally. And it's, it's very delicate the way you have to have this part. 
because inside of, uh, of the entire crankcase is where the engine lives. So the machining of such uh, casting is critical. So historically, Caterpillar uh, was the provider for, for uh, progress rail of this crankcase. Uh, the average price of the in-house forge, uh, the, 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 the in-house uh, uh, crankcase was uh, $35,000. And the lead time was about 11 weeks for getting one crankcase. So in addition to this high price and this long lead time, um, the quality was um, experiencing some issues. So I got engaged with engineering department and the quality department and started understanding what is that in the ideal case will be. So from quality, they, they will get me their feedback. So, Luis, uh, we are experiencing a lot of porosity in this cast. And the, the pre-machining is terrible. We need a lot of manpower to final machine this cast. And from engineering, they will tell me, well, um, we we need something that will be again not so much of the rough machining, and so I got the the insight from these two departments and decided to go out outside and get a new supply. So because. Um, you had one supplier for the raw material, one for the casting, yes. and one for the machining. Uh, three different yes. companies. So. We for for castings and, and for forgings as well. We have um, in some of the components we will have uh, at least two, if they are critical, two suppliers. So dual in sourcing. The case, see dual sourcing. Uh, I don't like uh, soul sourcing at all because you you live with a sore in your neck all the time because mm -hmm. you are very vulnerable uh, yeah. to the will of the supplier to increase the price when they want without an explanation. Uh, quality issues might be also a, a high risk for your operation because if the supplier starts experiencing some quality issues, then you are doomed because you re you relied on them for having your top quality expected product. So this is why I engage with all the evidence in my hand. I engage with senior management and prove the, the evidence that even though our foundry was in-house, we could not rely on them because of the pricing issues and the quality issues. So it was like to, to, to break a paradigm. This, this foundry was the supplier for progress rail during the last 70 years for this particular casting that is critical for, for the manufacturing of this engine, of this kind of engine. So it's like uh, when, let, let's put in simple example. Um, you have a bakery and the people doing 
your pound cakes for the wedding cake is giving you by pound cake. So that was pretty much the case. So I engage uh, and do uh, and doing my uh, RFQ all over the world again. I had uh, potential suppliers from Germany, Italy, Spain, China, India, Japan, and finally found uh, some, some not so small, a medium-sized uh, foundry in Japan that they had a very uh, special technique, lost foam mold for for the casting, which at the end uh, the the use of machining, the, the final machining will be almost none because okay. of the, the, their way of operation. And I managed to switch from a very long lead time, 11 weeks to six week lead time for the new supplier in Japan. And from $35,000 the, the, the unit, I managed to deliver um, $12,000, $14,000 a, a unit. So uh, wow. <laughs> That's... This, this was interesting. And uh, yeah. in addition to that, the, um, the final machining, the time and the labor was reduced in 15% as well because mm -hmm. the the what they call broadcasting was so so good pre-machine that we we needed almost nothing yeah. to finalize in the machining to put in place into the line of production. So this is a pro a project that I'm very very proud of. Yeah, I mean it's it's really impressive knowing this industry uh, and how difficult it can be, even though you identify opportunities to make as well the org organization agree yeah. and to move from a historical supplier to a, a new supplier is uh, it's really uh, an, an achievement. So yeah, yeah, and and I was against the the stream all the time because every time I will speak with the senior engineers that they were there forever and some senior managers that they were always there. When I presented the idea of changing supplier, they would say, no, you cannot do that. And when they, when I asked why, well, because this is the way we have operated <laughs> always. And, and for me, that is not okay. You know? That is not the answer that Luis Orozco will accept as a valid answer. <laughs> yeah, and um, I mean, you have this, um, as you said, like going uh, against the stream because people uh, don't want to change, but as well because they know it's difficult to change, right? When you have big end customers, like you were telling that some of your end customers are um, in the Navy, right? So that means that when you change something, you, you need to get the approval of those big companies yeah. as well. So it's it's yeah. a lot of work. but. Uh, it's it's really great that to show that it's not impossible and you're demonstrating it. Yeah. No, it's it's not impossible and the key for this is evidence, facts, and you know, with all that mm -hmm. good presentation. When you go with evidence, you can demolish whatever icon is in front, whatever paradigm is in front. 
So, um, and for that, you need to be very detail oriented, being able of understanding data, being uh, not only a person executing savings because you need to execute savings. No, you have to understand, uh, breathe, and leave the products you are dealing the products that you are mm, responsible for. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. be, because I, I, this is my added value of everything I do in life. So it's not only to be mechanical, but think to to live in that mode. Yeah. And when you go to somebody in front of you and you show them numbers, facts, hard, solid facts, well, they will have no other option than give you at least the opportunity to prove them wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you so much for for uh, these anecdotes and uh, explanations. They are they are very very interesting. Um, by the way, has um, COVID uh, impacted your suppliers or uh, your business? Sure. Uh, you know, operating in this new in new mode, uh, the relationship is, is critical because it's not the same to have video conferences, video meetings, than going to the foundry, sit down together visiting the production line, see firsthand what you are relying on, your products, see? So that way I can tell you definitely it it has impacted because there are some, always some projects that were put on hold uh, simply because you cannot go and do uh, technical audits to, to your suppliers. This is what you are expected when you you are in supply chain and in strategic sourcing. That you you do not only do commercial audits, but also quality audits, technical audits. If some supplier is to tell you, I'm putting into the production line this new technology that will yield savings in because it's more efficient or because the lead times are shorter you want to see that first yeah and therefore the covid has impacted definitely yes hopefully this will be over soon yeah so what are you looking uh for the future whether what do you want to do or do you have a, a message to uh to tell our audience well uh in the future you know, every single day, the constant is change. So just go with the change, uh, be flexible, but you know, to develop a structure, solid knowledge, but always be aware that there may be a way of improving always and being flexible to adapt to new worlds, to, to the new circumstances, to new emerging industries where your knowledge, your experience can also be applied. Okay. Because in life, the only constant is change. Thank you so much, Luis. That was uh, very interesting. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing. Thank you, Sophie. Uh, for sure. <laughs> My pleasure.